Welcome to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains who are also human and sometimes better at being humans than saints. I will be sharing my own experiences of being a chaplain and interviewing others to hear their stories and the stories of their families, as well as learning from colleagues we work with in related fields, because it's our own humanity that unites us on this very spiritual journey through a very mortal life. Before we even get started, on our very first episode, we have some disclaimers that we need to share. I know that's not the most exciting thing, but we have to do it up front and from the beginning, just to be clear, though we won't make you listen to it every time. That is, I just want to be clear that we did obtain permission from the chaplain and military office of the priesthood department to do this podcast. However, it is not a podcast endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, nor are we trying to represent them. All of our words, thoughts, opinions, and information shared is our own. Similarly, many chaplains work for other agencies, organizations, hospitals, the military and government leaders, and non-governmental organizations, and in humanitarian aid efforts. None of our guests are speaking for anyone else other than themselves, nor are they officially representing those organizations on this podcast. In addition, I am a licensed clinical professional counselor, but I am not offering any counseling nor giving any medical advice. Please seek local providers for any mental health needs. For full disclosure, I have a Bachelor of Science in Human Development a Master of Science in Professional Counseling, a Master of Divinity in Pastoral Counseling, and a PhD in Marriage and Family Therapy. I have worked in private practice since 2001. I have also worked in other settings like LDS Family Services, residential treatment centers, community mental health, and school-based settings. I also work internationally as a consultant with the International Society for the Study of Trauma and Dissociation as a representative to the United Nations Economic and Social Health Committee. That includes the work groups with children and family for UNICEF and UNHCR with refugees and Congo, not the country, but the Committee on NGOs and Humanitarian Aid. Through this, I do consulting work in war zones natural and man-made disaster sites, and refugee camps. I often write white papers for research to be submitted as UN briefs and assist in training community leaders, local therapists, and military and government leaders in psychological first aid, psychosocial supports, and interagency humanitarian aid efforts in war zones and disaster sites. As mentioned earlier, I am not speaking or representing any of these organizations, 
and all words and thoughts and opinions are my own. This gives me a unique position both to work and to share with varied experiences across the world. And that's part of what I'm excited to talk about here and the ways we can. As you know, and with any guests that come on as well, there are many of us who have limits and boundaries about what we can share regarding our work. Not just confidentiality of the people we work with, but sometimes things we cannot disclose about our jobs or our locations. So we'll assume that for most of the podcast. As a chaplain, I've had seven units of CPE. That's its own story, and we'll get there. But I did my CPE units in both community and VA hospitals. Like most of us who have gone through CPE, I worked in a variety of settings. But some of those experiences included the ER, NICU, the cardiac hospital, the burn unit, ICU, and the women's hospital. I was also deployed to the New York response to the pandemic in early 2020 when coronavirus first hit and before we knew how to treat or help people. That was a difficult experience, which I can also share about later. So I was required to share those disclaimers and I needed to be clear about my background so that you know where I'm coming from a little bit. But I can also give an introduction just as we're getting to know each other so that you know where I'm coming from and a little bit about who I am because it's not a normal story. Even my work is unusual, but that's me. I don't fit into square boxes very well. I don't speak girl and I'm not good at doilies, but I have a testimony of who we are as humans and what our potential really is. And I have a heart that desires to be righteous and is willing to be repentant. And my husband says, that's everything. My husband grew up in the church. He went to BYU. He served a mission in Korea. And then he went to NYU for musical theater. So that's what he does. He writes books and lyrics and songs for musicals, choir competitions, and for our children. I did not grow up in the church. I'm a convert. I chose to be baptized into the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in 2009. I was an adult, and so I had missed the boat already on getting to serve a mission. So I chose to do a service mission through the temple department, helping with family search, My mission was renewed twice, so I got to spend time helping answer questions when people got stuck in their research on Family Search. I got to help start the Family Search Wikipedia, and I got to help start Roots Tech. I did that for four years, and it was a really special experience that brought me my own healing in lots of unexpected ways which mattered to me, especially as a convert and as a survivor of someone with family of origin trauma. But it also gave me hope and a testimony of family, which ultimately is what led me to meeting my husband. 
He had always thought that he would marry as soon as he got home from his mission, which is common in Utah culture, I guess. But he didn't, and it distressed him, because it was important to him, and he tried hard. He just had trouble finding someone who loved him at the same time as he loved them. I'm sorry that he had so many years of struggle and sadness waiting to find an eternal companion. But I'm really glad it's me, and I'm really glad we found each other. We were sealed in the Oklahoma City Temple, which is supposed to be a big event and very special with all the feelings. And it was. But it was also as unusual as the rest of our lives together has always been and continues to be. And that when it came time to receive our special message before the sealing began, It wasn't a blessing of sweetness and tenderness. Maybe because we already had that. And for us, it's just a given and not something we take for granted. I mean that seriously. Having grown up as I did and experienced the things that I did as a young adult, I'm very grateful. Not that I have a husband, but that I have this husband. He has never raised his voice at me. He has never harmed me in any way. We have disagreements like anyone else because we're different people, but our disagreements are not ugly or loud or hateful because that's not who we want to be. We care well for ourselves and each other in the ways that we can, in the ways that matter eternally. And that's not something we're willing to sacrifice. This matters because our happiness is not at all based on our circumstances, which have been difficult, if not cruel. This journey of mortality. But when we were there that day at the altar to be married, to be sealed, our blessing was more of a warning than it was as a blessing. It talked about how we knew each other before and why we were held apart for so long and how unhappy the adversary was about us finding each other now and how hard he would try to stop us. We have seen that proven true, except that we will not be stopped because we know whom we serve and who we truly are and what is unfolding before us. And we do the work not to lose sight of that, no matter what our circumstances are. And they have not been easy. But we knew that from the beginning. My husband grew up with his parents doing foster care, and so it's something that was always important to him. I grew up needing foster care, and so it was important to me. So we spent our honeymoon filling out application paperwork to become foster parents. Not many people do that. But we felt called to it. 
And we wanted to be obedient to that prompting without getting distracted. So that's how we spent our honeymoon in a pile of paperwork, agreeing to care for children that would not be ours. We had fun too for several weeks, getting used to each other, settling into a home before he had to return to New York to finish a show and some work there because he had already committed to do so even though we were newlyweds. And while that was difficult, keeping our promises and completing our work is an example of how to talk about covenants, how to live covenants without using those words. So it was important, and off he went, straight into Hurricane Sandy, which was a terrifying experience for him for me with us apart, and for me alone having our first miscarriage. It was the first of several, and we discovered quickly that people don't talk about it, but that we need to. And so we did, and we do, and we will. He finished his work and came home for our first Christmas together. And everything felt perfect. A season of peace and rest being together again. Except also my father had died of cancer. And then my mother was killed by a drunk driver. And then we had another miscarriage. And so we began our years together in grief. After another miscarriage, we were sent to a fertility specialist to find out what was going wrong and why I wasn't responding to the usual treatments and why this kept happening. It turned out that I had cancer. And all of that was only in the first six months of our marriage. The day that we found out we would not be able to have children, we left the clinic hand in hand and climbed into the car and sat together and cried. And then we do what we do. We said a prayer. And right as we finished our prayer, the phone rang. And he answered it. And it was DHS calling to let us know we had been approved as foster parents. Now, I want to be clear that miscarriages are not a reason to foster. That's not fair to you or to the child. But for us, it was something we had already chosen and committed to. And because we were obedient in the beginning, then months and months later, on the hardest day, we got good news. So that our experience was literally walking out of the clinic where we were told we would never have children. 
to answering the phone call that said we had a son. He was not ours. Children are not happy meal toys. But our first foster child became our first adoption. We fostered 87 children over five years. It is not something I would recommend to anyone. It is not something that is easy. Fostering is the hardest thing I have ever done in my life. But it was the right thing for us for a season. And we worked hard to support families and parents so that so many children could go back home. But there were six who could not. And so there were six who stayed. And that's how we became a family, the eight of us. And we've been a family for almost 10 years now. And we are as sealed as any other family. And it is a beautiful and rich thing. And we are grateful. The children are not biologically related to us or to each other. But by default, because of their ages, we ended up with triplets and twins and a miracle baby who's growing up. The triplets are in seventh grade now. Our oldest daughter is deaf. I am also deaf and most deaf people don't have podcasts, but I have cochlear implants. I can speak and I can hear one-on-one in most situations, group discussions, fancy dinners, and restaurants are a little more challenging. But for me, cochlear implants are part of my miracle experience, even if sign language is also my heart language. My oldest daughter also has cochlear implants. And so that's an experience we share. And for many years, we attended a deaf ward until we moved closer to my husband's parents to care for them, which we're doing now. My oldest son, the one who came that day, they said we could not have children, has autism and a brain injury for what happened to bring him into foster care in the first place. And our middle son has cerebral palsy and spina bifida and a shunt in his brain for hydrocephalus. He wears braces on his left side and is sometimes in a wheelchair. So we are among those advocates who remind people that not all people need wheelchairs all the time. Some are intermittent uses for different reasons. And please don't judge. Our twins are now in fourth grade. They both have fetal alcohol syndrome. And one of them also has autism. 
with perseveration of speech, which means he does not stop talking. And the other one does not talk at all outside the home. I share their stories because they want to share their stories and they might, they will, if they want to, as they want to, in the ways that they do. But as children who have their stories stolen from them, telling their own stories in their own words is very important to them. And they are learning to advocate for their needs, for their disabilities, with dignity and pride. So once again, we don't fit in a box because we are not ashamed of our issues and we are open about them and we talk about them because we are human and the challenges of mortality do not make us any less saintly. Our youngest daughter is a miracle. Some of you know this and have followed this. Some of you have prayed for her and fasted for her. Some of you know her story and know us, and we are grateful for your support. We could not have kept her alive if it were not for your acts of faith. That being said, one of the most difficult lessons in chaplaincy is that miracles do not always take the shape that we want them to be. And we have already lost her biological twin. Their biological parents had polysubstance abuse and alcohol abuse, leaving them with developmental problems in the womb. So that our youngest daughter was born without an airway with all sorts of unfinished development from her heart to her cleft palate and an airway the size of a coffee straw and no jaw and no tongue. So she has grown up in hospitals. I have missed meetings doing G-tube feedings and checking oxygen. But my heart is there with you every October and I watch the training videos when they are posted. But as much as I do in all the world in the ways that I can in my own small corner, what matters most is my life as a mom. And so I'm doing my best, juggling the rest, because I am human and can only do so much at once. Ask my children because they are forever taking turns because I can only tie one shoe at a time. Our youngest daughter had airway reconstruction surgery last year and she's doing really well since. This is the story of our family all of this trauma of what we were going through and specifically the deaths of my parents is what led me to chaplaincy, searching for answers, feeling the burden of needing to provide them, not yet knowing that sometimes presence is enough. 
I was a counselor, a clinician. And when my father died of cancer and my mother was killed by a drunk driver, I struggled to find a counselor I could go to. I had either supervised or educated all of the clinicians around me or knew they were not safe to go to for my own support. All of this combined to leading me to the CPE program that I thought would contain and frame my issues, not knowing that CPE would rip everything wide open. But as difficult as that season was, it was a beautiful healing experience. And I am grateful. Our particular CPE group had heard horror stories of CPE. People tearing into each other, not therapeutically. And so we committed to the beginning to being kind, to being honest but compassionate, to being vulnerable with boundaries and transparent but contained for ourselves and for each other. We committed to making CPE a real but safe experience. And I think that made it an extra powerful one. All of these are the stories I have to share with you on this podcast. Along with the stories of others. And our families. And the people we work with. And around. In this sea of humanity that we share in common despite our differences. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. I'm glad we're in this together. Thank you for listening to Saints and Humans, a podcast for chaplains even those of us who are very human and still learning to become saints. You can follow us by subscribing to the podcast on any podcast player and following us on our Facebook page, Saints and Humans. Thank you.